In a world crying out for a top 10 show. John Roca and Matt Nost are here to bring you the top 10. Take it away, boys. Hey, hey, Matt Nost, will you look at that? We got ourselves a brand new video here for the Top 10 Show. Thanks to Brian Ward. Uh, I am John Roca. And I am rock hard Matt Nost right now. (laughs) It's a solid intro. Thank you, Mr. Ward. It was gorgeous. Yeah, man. Uh, Yeah, appreciate you you text me asking me a question and uh, kept it on the hush and then sent it to me. And I was like, ooh, that's really good. Uh, Thank you, Brian, because I didn't know what was coming down the pike. So to see that it was like, that was really well done. It's nice and quick. So it gets into the video. It's kind yeah. of, it's scintillating is what it is. I like, and I like the 10, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two. And I appreciate that, you know, kind of keeps it on brand that we get our pictures coming up and things of that nature. So uh, it'll probably be adjusted a little bit more before uh, we see it again, but I, I love what he did and did a fantastic job. So it's a little things like that. Plus of course, uh, Jake Yacoveta creating the overlay for us that we've got going on there for the show you know as we do this uh entering i don't know how many weeks we've been doing it now from our respective houses but it's been at least a month i think right uh, it feels yeah, like that at least a month yeah um, i don't know at the what is it 16th yeah as we're recording uh, this yeah max would be five weeks but a month something. okay yeah 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 um, uh, so what what's going on with you man what's uh how's uh the whole week of uh you know self-isolation any new things you discovered any new things you've been doing uh last minute i had to so the second tenant finally moved in she had already rented the place out but she's been in her other apartment for a while and she's got two dogs so just like it's going to come in stages so today was stage one where she got the bulk of it mm-hmm. uh, here but it was like yesterday and the day before was installing a mini split and then doing some last minute like touch ups before she moved in. So nice. nice. That, it's been a lot of indoors crap. <laughs> Have you watched anything new? Have you like watched any new movies yet and watched a full or any TV shows you were thinking of taking not, a chance on? Not this week. We started Miss America last night. That's good. Oh, yeah. The Kate Blanchett one. Is it the good? Kate Blanchett. Yeah, it's good. I like that one. It's right. got a huge cast. Yeah. Um, what else new? I don't think there's anything else new that we try. There's a couple uh, going to give Run a chance with Dominic Hawk Leeson. Right, right, right. Killing uh, Eve came back. Did you? I never saw season that? one. I think okay. that's Catherine's show. Okay. Uh, it's with Sandra Oh, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's the same yeah. person, Phoebe Waller-Bridge. She produces that show, and she produced Run as well. So it's kind of like she's okay. building her own little uh, bridge verse, so to speak. So yeah, pretty cool stuff there. Uh, are you excited this week as a Chicago Bulls fan for this uh, general manager coming over from Denver and then JJ Polk coming over from the Pelicans? What's your feeling here? Uh, new blood was needed. That's all. They've yeah. been a long time. And then the stories like, just like any, so if, if you know nothing of sports out there listening hmm. for a marquee player or someone like this. So it's the front office of my beloved Chicago Bulls. And they've been there for, a long, long time. As soon as anyone like that leaves, then the reporters start putting out the stories that they had to sit on <laughs> sour their relationship. So now all the crap of like Gar Foreman was hated by all agents 
and pretty much every star player. That's what <laughs> uh, they thought that, you know, he was kind of shady and shit like that, which we'd always known, but at the same time to have it officially like no big agent will have his client come talk to you. Right. That's brutal. Uh, so yeah, it, 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 I have no idea if they're going to be good. Their pedigree looks nice. Yeah. Uh, hopefully they're, they're good guys and uh, who knows who the fuck. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'd be excited about it because they are, you know, the the, the like you said, the pedigree is good. What they were to do in Denver, uh, uh, pretty good. It comes out of the Daryl Morey uh, kind of general manager tree as well. So the guy has a lot of knowledge about how to do this. And Polk is a great cap specialist. So you might be looking at some better contracts for your players all around that doesn't hamstrung the franchise going on down the road. So we'll see. But, uh, I mean, pretty incredible stuff to get those guys in there. And uh, it's, I mean, Chicago's where you want to go if you want to, hang on to a job for way longer than you actually should. Cause they yep. show a lot of loyalty and they're keeping packs. Uh, but hopefully we're in a much more reduced role. They're keeping him for now. If they're really going to anoint the GM, um, he'll need to put in his own coach and potentially just put in his own front office as well. So we'll see, we'll see how it goes. Cause it's all kind of, they're used to one way and a new person's coming in. So how much on eggshells do they have to be? And yeah, yeah, yeah. Before they can actually, flex or are they given that green light from day one so yeah yeah but right now everything's in turmoil so who the hell knows <laughs> no. if and when the season's coming back let alone what yeah i think it's funny that goodell is going to keep uh switching gears to goodell like the idea that he's going to do the draft picks from his basement in his uh, uh house in new york uh, i think that's funny as hell i still think people should show up and do appropriate social distancing and stand six feet from each other and still boo him from behind a fence or whatever just to keep the feeling the feeling that the draft is still happening i don't know uh yeah i don't i don't know what the hell they're they're gonna <laughs> zoom in everybody that get, gets picked yeah, right. <laughs> so then they already know who these people are because they have to call them to immediately switch over to keep it engaging. Otherwise, we're right. somebody to click a link and then follow, you know, eventually coming on. So we're going to wait 20 seconds, 30 seconds for every draft pick. Yeah. Happen. Isn't yeah. it almost worse that like if you isn't it almost worse if you're on the Zoom call and you're just hanging out, you're you're that guy that not they're not picking and you're just sitting there for 20 draft rounds or 20 draft picks and you're on the Zoom. Like, what, what do you do at that point? It's almost worse than sitting in the room, I think, or having the camera on you in your house. Do you wear a suit? If you're, yeah. in, if you're sitting at home, do you wear a suit? Kind of. You know what yeah. I mean? But at the same time, you're at home, but kind of. Yeah. You're seeing all these ESPN personalities hosting their shows. Some of them are wearing their suits. I saw see the, some of these CNN uh, broadcasters. Or, oh, no, the WWE. They had for WrestleMania, they had people hosting the pre-show in like nice dresses and uh, suits and ties. And I was like, Oh my, come on, like, come on for God's sake. Everybody knows what's I, happening. I saw a video of some journalists. I don't know if they were sports or whatever else, but yeah. uh, I want to say it was a Spanish uh, reporter mm-hmm. anyway. So does his thing and then stops talking and picks up his phone because he thought that they cut out on him. Right. He lifts up his knee and he's holding onto his knee. You can tell he's wearing shorts, but he's got the suit on. <laughs> Nobody had any clues. And so now he's just showing the, the, the viewers. Yeah, you know, I'm chilling at home kind of thing. And then I guess he got a text while he was on his phone like, hey, you're still on. <laughs> right back to professionalism. And that's the deal. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's been cool. I mean, uh, on my end, we've just been doing the walks, not much more. I mean, like, like you're just yeah. discovering shows, watching stuff, watching movies. I just went through Amazon Prime and like made a list of a bunch of movies that I haven't watched yet from the past or from recent memory 
that I've been wanting to get to. So I'm going to start trying to burn through those a little more quickly. Mm -hmm. Might even shoot some reviews just to kind of work that muscle out a little bit more uh, for the channel, but just to do something, you know, and, uh, you know, I've got all the content I got coming up on Annihilation channel, but like I need also to keep sharp on these, those other things. So hopefully uh, that will be a way to kind of keep me busy as well with everything that's going on. So, you know, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, but anyway, today we're here to talk about movies. We're to talk about countdown, another top 10 list here on the top 10 show. Thank you all so much for downloading the show. Uh, whether you're downloading it on YouTube to watch our pretty faces live, or I'm sorry, uh, watch our faces on video, or if you're downloading us on the podcast channel to listen to us. And thank you to all the patrons who've been really during this tough times, still supporting the show, still giving love to the show. Can't thank you all enough for doing that. And of course, Matt and I are so excited to create new content for the patrons who stayed with us and so and and hopefully lure more patrons to keep this show going but because if there's one thing you need when all this stuff is happening is entertainment laughs little fun ball busting and uh, some debate over where movies should be placed on a list. So it's fun distractions from whatever, everything else is going on in your world. So we can't thank you enough for joining us today. Um, man, anything you want to say to that? Or to, uh, do you want to jump in the topics? Like, well, how did this all come about? Uh, we, uh, well, you brought up the Patreon. So um, recording schedules kind of got skewed today. So you should hear a read list. You should have heard it two days ago, but yeah. worst case is you heard it yesterday. So we apologize for the delay. Just, we had a specific time we uh, needed to record because we had to end by a specific time and we got pushed in. So we will get it out to you. We will still work hard to get you, you know, all the content we promised. Absolutely. Uh, but uh, so if there's a slight delay, there, there's your reason. So I'm re- yeah, ready to jump in. We chose this topic. You sent it over. Yeah. About this. And we're like, sure. Yeah. I was like, I was fishing through something and, and I, I, I was thinking to myself, Oh, what about movies based on plays? Uh, I, I don't know where it was from or, or how I stumbled upon it, but I thought it was kind of interesting. And I was like, oh, well, we haven't even tackled something like that. That could be fun. Are there enough? And when we when I started diving deep into all these possibilities, I was blown away by how many movies I didn't know were based on plays uh, and then how many movies were based on plays that you had to kind of limit or the Shakespeare stuff, all that stuff was in, uh, in play overall. Uh, and then uh, no texted me before we start a little bit before we were going to record and said, Hey, do musicals count? And I thought we shouldn't mm-hmm. count those musicals. Cause that could be a whole separate uh, top 10 down the road. Certainly within the Heights coming West side story coming, we could say top 10 films based on stage musicals and things of that nature. So I wanted to kind of save that one for later. So we're doing today, top 10 films based on a stage play. So, uh, I'm excited. We actually had a former guest pitch musicals as a topic. Oh yeah, I had oh, flat yeah. out told you I was like, I can't even do that list. Right, right, right. We can't even do that list. So <laughs> by the time those get around, I'll get off my ass and watch a few more of the, you know, the the certified classics. Right. Fill out the empty gaps on my list. We'll yeah. see. <laughs> even the best ones, I'm not the biggest fan of. Right. So, it, it might just be a genre that doesn't appeal to you, man. It could just be that. Yeah. I, I mean, I appreciate it, especially when they have, you know, like Singing in the Rain or something, the choreography on top of everything else. Right, right, right. Impressive to watch. I'm just not engaged, I guess. Yeah. People break out into song to express the emotion of the scene or the sentiment of this transitional moment, et cetera, et cetera. I, I fully understand because when it works, it works 100%, but it's a much mm-hmm. occurrence. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what was this like? What was it like for you compiling this list, man? Did you did you anticipate there'd be a lot of choices, or were you surprised by some of these as well? Um, I mean, I knew what was going to be in the mix by and large. Mm. Is there's a whole bunch uh, that 
I haven't seen in so long. Yeah. It's one that I haven't gotten to. Like there's one that's probably going to make your list that I just, I haven't seen when uh, I was making the list. I was like, Oh yeah, Mm. there's that one. Uh, You know, which happens. You can't think of every movie every time you want to watch a movie. So very, very true. Yeah. Some of these fall through the the cracks. Uh, So hopefully between our two lists, we have a nice wide array of a ton of different movies, which should be pretty easy actually. Yeah, I don't disagree. I'm looking forward to that as well. So yeah, I, I'm I'm in as a, as a, I'm excited to see what comes up on your list. And I was surprised by what came up on my list. And cutting some of these movies were really tough. Uh, you know, jockeying for a position with a lot of these movies was really tough for me because I did find some that I had a hard time cutting off the list, but had to go back and like, well, how many times do I rewatch it? It wasn't that enjoyable. Is it a, a film that I always go back to? And then does the quality match up the fact that I go back to it multiple times? So there was a lot of inner yeah. dialogue I was having about uh, the placement of some of these movies on the list and which ones didn't make the list more importantly, for sure. Uh, sorry, Catherine just uh, texted me. Oh, everything hey. all right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, totally fine. She's just going to come home right when we're recording, so I wanted to give her a heads up to just try and be quiet when she walks in because I'm near the front door. Oh, okay. Yeah, no worries. Um, and that's the kind of behind the scenes that you get <laughs> on a quarantine show. Like, go back and listen to the classics. I can't remember which one it was. We got a delivery once at my old house. That was great. <laughs> All-time classic. So yeah. you know, this, this stuff does happen when you're uh, outside of an office. Very true. Very studio, true. studio, rather. No All way. right, so you ready to jump right in? Yeah, let's jump into it. Um, uh, you want to tell me how the show works, brother? Once we set a topic, we go our individual ways to create personal top 10 lists. Show back up here. I do my bottom three. He does his bottom three. I do my next two. He does his next two. Then we trade one apiece. Once we have revealed our personal top 10 list, we create the shows between the two of us. Boom. Okay. Let's uh, uh, get in. What do you got number 10, man? A billion choices. Okay. Yes. Thoroughly. So... A lot of this was, you know what, I'm going to go scattershot and try and pull in. Hopefully we can talk about some movies that we've never talked about. Yeah. Or they've come up because we're referencing something else. So 10 for me is a Bronx tale. Great choice, man. Yeah. Uh, it was a, what, Chaz Palminteri one-man play? Yep, one-man play. Yeah, that's what I heard before. Because I knew him, you know, from what, Godfather 3 and other stuff before right. all this. I don't think he had the juice to get it produced before then. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's De Niro and... The young kid, didn't he go off Indian jail now? Well, no, not anymore. He got out of jail a couple yeah. of years ago. I remember because he came to Collider, did an interview with uh, Christian way back when. Um, so he is putting his life back together and he wrote a biography about the experience, or not a biography, but a memoir about the experience uh, and things of that nature. Really nice guy. I met him afterwards because I was such a fan of Bronx Tale and, of course, his uh, run on Sopranos when he's playing that idiot who steals, uh, you know, yeah. who robs him at the card game. Um, but I just wanted to say hi to him because I just want and I wanted to send him some support. Really nice guy. So yeah, this is a great film. Time capsule of film De Niro directing, which he rarely does. Palminteri, yeah. you know, uh, being kind of a guy, no one knew much about, like you said, Matt, kind of taking center stage a little bit in this film. And then you have an interracial relationship. It's a timepiece. There's so much about the film that uh, is enjoyable to revisit when you get a chance to do so. You know, what's funny about that movie is the little sentiment that was it, is it De Niro that gives uh, the young kid or Paul Monteri the way you can tell uh, if, a, you know, this is a girl you want to keep. Oh, it's uh, it's Chaz. It's not. That's what I thought. It's yeah. Chaz. It's one of the few like times where you can see the good side of them. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, open the door for her and she gets in the car as you're walking around the back side of it. You look through the, the window and see whether or not she reaches over 
to unlock your door for you just to help you. Yeah. Uh, and I've noticed that ever since then when it does <laughs> and when it doesn't, it's, you know, it does mean something, uh, yeah. especially if they know like your hands are full or whatever you're coming around. It's just a nice little gesture. It saves you one motion. Yeah. But it's little- with so many options, so many choices out there. We've never talked about a Bronx tale. It's a nice small little movie uh, yeah. about the mafia, but not really. It's about, you know, a father's son and the son's, you know, growth and maturation into yeah. adulthood. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it, it, that's what separates it. Uh, like you said, Matt, it's not necessarily a mafia film because we don't get into the nitty gritty of what he does necessarily. You know, we don't find like you know, like uh, get to know the villains of the piece on the other side as strongly as you would in a regular mafia film. This is a coming of age story about a kid with his friends and what he experiences and the life lessons that he's taught by someone who you wouldn't necessarily want to see as a mentor for a young a man, but he does actually dole out some interesting life lessons, you know, about yeah. self-esteem, self-worth, about whatever, and uh, but also troubling in the fact that he said it's better to rule with uh, people who fear you than people who love you. So, and that's, uh, and De Niro countering that with, ra- which is a rare thing for him to play, a guy who is not the mafia guy, you know, trying to impose his will on a situation. He's more yeah. trying to raise his kid and save him from becoming what you would say is a town thug or a town uh, mm-hmm. gangster uh, and want something more for his kid and the battles that go along from there. Yeah. Um, quality movie. So if, if those listening or watching have never seen it, do yourself a favor. It's I don't recall it being that long. My guess is a buck 40. Yeah. So right around there. Yeah, I would say so. Um, so it's and it's got a nice story to it. It's very well acted. It, uh, it's a good period piece, but it doesn't, you know, it stays as a small story. And I yeah. appreciate that. And there are some strong emotional moments as well. So it's not just a, you know, coming of age. There's some strong moments that you will experience if you watch the film and enjoy the characters. Um, all right. What you got number nine, man? Uh, nine was a last second addition, addition mm-hmm. uh, which is Roxanne. With Steve oh, Martin. the Cyrano de Bergerac. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Nice. I, my mom loved that movie as a kid and I already liked Steve Martin. So I thoroughly enjoyed that movie and I've yeah. seen, Several times over the years. I mean, I saw it a lot as a kid. Yeah. Uh, but I watched it not probably like three years ago because I wanted to see the insult scene um, in the bar. Right. About his nose. All, all the different ways that he can, you know, basically this guy's insult was so pathetic. It's like, that's the best you can do. Right. Throws a dart and then whatever number it is, it's a high number. And he's got to come up with that many insults in the whole bar in very 80s fashion. Gets into it. It's like 150 people and they're all yeah. like, <laughs> and then he's got another insult. <laughs> but it works. It works really well. Uh, and I saw that scene and it made me just the charm of it and everything. And Steve Martin being so excellent that I just went to the beginning of the movie and started from there and watched it instead the whole way through. Yeah. Uh, yeah it's, it, you know, a story about love, a story about the do looks matter, or is it the, the mind behind that? Uh, right. Right. And well, Steve Martin is fawning over what Daryl Han- Hannah and the yeah, Daryl Hannah, yeah. The dude she likes is a fireman. He was in Top Gun. Yeah, Rick like, Rostovich. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, uh, yeah. Also, what's interesting about the film though is it, it does take the basic outline of the De Bergerac story and or play and 
kind of plays within it and uh, makes it more modern and uh, makes it relatable to what's going on uh, in the um, world that they're creating in the movie, you know, and that Americana of the small town bar, which probably never existed, but the small town, the, the Americana, like everyone getting involved in it, things of that nature. And then when he embarrasses Kevin Nealon uh, out there, when yeah. they're kind of essentially fencing with the tennis rackets, things mm-hmm. of that nature. So it's, it's funny, uh, but also very sweet. It's, it's one of these, kind of Steve Martin films that uh, make you remember what he could do when he was at his uh, yeah. height or at his prime uh, as a star uh, in Hollywood at that time, a comedic star in Hollywood at that time. Absolutely. Yeah. It's what I wished LA story was more like. Yeah. Yeah. Like LA, LA stories is a bit uneven. I agree. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it's not one I want to revisit because it's depressing. Whereas eventually, you know, uh, Steve Martin triumphs in this. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a nicer because it's hard to go through, especially the first time. It's not the end of the world or whatnot. Right. But yeah, LA story. I <laughs> like that movie so much. It's like that in Parenthood. I don't like Parenthood. Oh yeah. It's it's a too depressing. In, it's in depressing. I saw it as a kid. I found it depressing then. I watched it a couple times as an adult. Yeah. Still just as depressing. I watched it in my twenties and then I watched it again in my thirties. What's funny? Cause cause I think Roxanne, I think is 88. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Parenthood's Parenthood 89. Huh? Yeah, I was right. gonna say it came out right around that time. Yeah, and then Paranoia comes out in '89, and then you get LA Story. I think it's '90 or '91 or even '92. '92 yeah. was with the number in my head, but I don't. Right, and then you get Mixed Nuts come. So to me, uh, Roxanne's maybe the last uh, breath of joy that you see from him until you get to maybe um, that works until you get to maybe Bullfinger is maybe the next thing that's funnier. Uh, uh, you know, but that's a, like a cult classic that took a long yeah. time for people to come around on. Yeah, agreed, agreed. Now it's the least watch of probably both their canons. Yeah, yeah. What's your number eight? My number eight is A Raisin in the Sun. Ooh, okay, cool. Nice choice, uh, man. Yeah, just solid movie about um, poor people on the, what is it, the south side of Chicago? Yeah. Sidney Poitier uh, plays the son, and there's a mom and a sister and a I can't remember. I think those were the main three pivotal characters, mm-hmm. but they come into some money and then it's a matter of what, what do they choose to do with that? How do they climb on their own, all their struggles with the society and the socioeconomic state that they're in yeah. uh, and the family dynamic amongst it all. Um, you can say, I mean, 40 is great. Yeah. Yeah. And this is like, I don't know when this is like right at the beginning or near the beginning of his career. I think, yeah. Patch of Blue is around the time. Lilies of the Field, when the Oscar four is around this time. This is before he becomes like fully Portier, right? And mm-hmm. so this is him like kind of you're seeing the shades of what's going to come from him uh, down the road when he becomes a lead. Yeah, it's a, it's a tough story to watch, a tough story to tell for sure. Uh, but it's an enjoyable movie. I think it's black and white still, right? Uh, yeah, it is, yeah. 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 So, yeah, great choice, man. Have you ever seen it on stage? No. Yeah. It's Good. rarely done now. Uh, the last one I could think of wasn't Diddy the lead. It was on Broadway or something. Oh, yeah, oh, that's right. Oh, that's the last wow. time I heard it. Yeah, because I think they did a movie shortly after his run on that. Yeah, I never saw that. It's kind of hard for me to match. Right. You can see, like Portier, it, it's kind of like why um, when Will Smith did Six Degrees and they were doing a young Portier kind of parallel with him. You can yeah. See Magnetism and the, the charisma he just commands so well at a young age. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, okay, uh, so then uh, my number 10 is Frost Nixon. Oh, that's a pun. 
Okay. All right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Fair enough. Uh, all right. Then my number nine is the original uh, source material for uh, Matt's number nine, which is the Cyrano de Bergerac movie, the French movie wow. with Gerard Depardieu, which I still go back and watch and enjoy the living hell out of. It's a fantastic interpretation of the story. Uh, Fernando Ray, I think, did one in the 50s that some people enjoyed. I think he won the Best Actor Oscar for his portrayal of Cyrano way back when, or Aldo Ray, one of those guys, he did it. Uh, but like this is a, such a vibrant, fun interpretation of the story, but mm-hmm. doesn't lose the stakes because, of course, he has to go off to war. Um, and so does his, so does the protege or the his friend who is in love with, uh, Christian, I think his name is, who's in love with uh, uh, the woman uh, and uh, Catherine. I said Catherine, I think it's Catherine and all of that. And so, and then it goes on to later on to where he's older and going to visit Catherine and she's been mourning the death of Christian for so long until eventually, uh, you know, there's a realization of who was actually writing those letters. It's such a well-directed French film and it's fun and enjoyable because most of the French films are like, you know, contemplative and really kind of uh, figuring out the world and all that jazz. This is so much more enjoyable and great performances from Depardieu and everybody involved in it. And I just love it from beginning to end, man. Just a great, bright, vibrant film. Uh, And if you haven't seen the French version of it, you haven't seen this version of the story, you've got to get on this thing. It's so good. This was the, I mean, the start of the wave of Gerard Depardieu is going to be a star in Hollywood. Right. Right. Yeah. I saw this as well. I just had more of a, a fondness for the Roxanne one because I've just seen it so many more times. But yeah, totally understood. Yeah, it's it's interesting you see that, and then Depardieu never really had the run here that it looked like he was kind of set up to do. Yeah, Green Card was you could argue Green Card is maybe the top high water right? mark. The high water mark, yeah, because I mean he does the Three Musketeers, or no Man Man in the Iron Mask. Okay, he does he does whatever he does that thing with Catherine Heigl where he plays her father. Um, you know, he does a couple other things, but it never quite bounces off the way you were hoping it would. Uh, so uh, that's that's the unfortunate truth about uh, Depardieu. And to be honest with you, the guy is like full on do his own thing. So, you know, maybe some studios didn't want to work with him because he was pretty much like, I'm going to show up this time and I'm going to do this and then I'm leaving, you know, that kind of thing. So who knows? Who knows? Um, all right. Then my number eight is A Streetcar Named Desire. Is that on your list or? Uh, it's a slight pun. Okay. Slight punt. Go ahead, my man. You're number seven. My seven is Much Ado About Nothing. Oh, nice choice. The Brano one. Okay. Yeah. Uh, up until that point, I think I'd only seen Romeo and Juliet, the 70s version. Mm-hmm. And then maybe Gibson's Hamlet. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but so it's not like Shakespeare leapt off the screen to me. Um, it's kind of weightier stuff for a younger kid. You really shouldn't right. be trying to access, especially Hamlet. Mm-hmm. Romeo and Juliet, I was the right age, you know, whatever else. It never really had the fascination for me, but I understand why it yeah. is. Uh, and then so much to do about nothing. It was on cable just randomly. And I happened to start at the beginning and I loved every second. I mean, Keanu Reeves is doing Shakespeare. Yeah, right. <laughs> but Michael Keaton steals Every tiny little scene that he is in, he is awesome. And, uh, you know, so is uh, Emma Thompson. Yeah. That was great. And it's a, just a solid cast from top to bottom. And it really brings the life, the spark of wit. Uh, and, I, you know, you can see the, the great comedic timing and understanding of Shakespeare. Yeah. 
you believe wrote these plays. Yeah, uh, yeah. And uh, anyway, go ahead. Yeah, no, I enjoy it too. I mean, it's the Beatrix Benedict storyline is such a, a difficult one to get right, you know, because it could slide into caricature, it could slide into a bit more meanness to it than you than if it, if it's not played correctly. And I think Brana and Emma Thompson do a fantastic job doing that with their characters within uh, that film. Of course, Brana directed it uh, as well. You also have Robert Sean Leonard doing a nice job, uh, mm-hmm. a very young Kate Beckinsale. Uh, you get the funny Dogberry uh, scene with Michael Keaton. Uh, so there's so much about the film that's enjoyable. For me, though, it gets a little too, little, what's the term I want to use? A little too uh, out there for me when they're do, when they're singing the song and all that jazz okay. at the beginning at the end. For me, it just kind of takes it away a little bit, which is why it's not one of my favorite. But it certainly is certainly one of the best Brana film films that he's ever done so uh but it's not always my favorite shakespeare interpretation of it all but within itself within what's going on in the scenes between brana and thompson that's the joy of the film for me to be honest with you all of that is so okay. much fun and seeing brian blessed that large uh man ape uh in the movie is always great to see man i like him a lot all right so that was my seven my mm-hmm. six the punt from earlier streetcar okay cool but not far off. What was that? Seven or uh, eight? Yes, eight, eight for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, young Brando. Yeah, Brando before this movie, and then after this, he just goes on a run of like consecutive Best Actor nods. Mm-hmm. Uh, out of nowhere, he just was the V star. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, Tennessee Williams play uh, set in New Orleans, and it's about a. Sister with dementia that we find out later um, comes to live with her sister and uh, husband in her husband. and uh, just the turmoil that that creates and the conflict between all the different personalities. Yeah. I mean, a great film from Ilya Kazan, the director. You have Carl Malden in this thing. Mm-hmm. Brando at his primal like introduction uh, mm-hmm. into people. I mean, uh, my girlfriend still talks about how much she loves that his portrayal in that movie and how sexy he is in that movie. Many people still uh, will go back and see how, um, you know, it's like it's a, this is what begins the fascination with Brando, this primal, uh, attractive guy at, in, in the prime of his life who is, uh, you know, at any moment can do anything, you know, and mm-hmm. seeing him like change and adjust his tactics. And obviously he's a, a terribly abusive uh, husband yeah. uh, and what have you. And he, he does end up raping uh, um, Vivian Lee's character, Blanche Dubois. So, it's, it, you know, there's uh, that's mixed into this whole thing as well. And of course, very famous for Stella, but within the film itself, there's some gr- great scenes of acting between all the actors involved. They're all method guys. They've all, mm-hmm. they all work together in New York and things of that nature. So yeah, it was Brando done yeah. the play. Yeah. Brando done the play. He was the lead on Broadway and then segued straight into the movie. Yeah, yeah. The only person they didn't cast from Broadway into the film, I think, was the uh, uh, Vivian Lee part. I think it was supposed to huh. be either – I think either Jessica Tandy or Joanne Woodward had done it on Broadway. Uh, and then they just – they wanted a film star, and so they uh, got Vivian Lee. Uh, to play that part in the film. But uh, yeah, I mean, just great stuff, combustible film. You know, when people tell me they don't like black and white films, they don't go back and see black and white films. Like, I go, you're all insane. You've got no idea what you're talking about. There are some yeah, great, you, powerful films in black and white. Yeah, there's, there's movies. I particularly, I think On the Waterfront succeeds even more for me. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. And 
uh, like 12 Angry Men. Yes. It's better that it's in black and white. Mm-hmm. Um, because yeah. they're trying to do, they're dealing with a black and white issue in some regard. Right. Fonda just keeps introducing the gray. Yeah. What, I mean, the limitation of the time really helps succeed and illustrating the problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. There's, that's like a, the, the early, the black and whites into early colors. Uh, yeah. Are when, you know, people have to struggle to go back to remember something. Yeah. Uh, and I'm one of those, like I try and be, on top of everything, but I, as to there's a good chance we're going to get to one that you've seen and I haven't just because mm. what it's one of how many from that era I've seen a lot, but <laughs> how many from that era that I may have missed. Yeah. No, I hear now you. every year. I don't see every Oscar movie. I try, yeah. but you miss some, it just inevitably <laughs> your starts and you're like, Oh, I still need to see X. Yeah. And to be honest with you, sometimes you're like, that movie doesn't look that interesting to me. I don't yeah. want to make time for it. And that's the honest truth of it, you know, because you've seen so many movies. For people who are young in their 20s, you will eventually get to that point where you go a little bit older and you're just like, I, you know what? I just don't want to see that film. And maybe you won't yeah. see all the Oscar nominated films because they didn't really interest you that much or a couple of them didn't interest you that much. Then maybe eventually you'll come back and watch them. But they don't grab you, so you don't go see them, and that's kind of how it goes sometimes. There's, I think for the last few years, there's been at least one that I haven't seen uh, that's been up for Best Picture every year. So yeah, yeah. My favorite is when a preponderance of people have seen it and you haven't, and it's oh, just like, right. yeah, eventually I get, but it's, oh, you haven't seen. You're like, have you seen all these? No. <laughs> Shut up! Like I have watched. So much in regards to film. Just, you know, shut your pie hole. <laughs> Occasionally they are right. Yeah. It happened to me where, you know, everybody's like, oh, and eventually you do watch it and you're like, there, yeah, that was awesome. Uh, it just slipped through the cracks. It was yeah. Like, I had no issue with the film. I just, it came and went out. I heard it was good and then forgot because I got busy watching other stuff. Yeah. Around. I'd rather people I'd rather people watch movies when they're in the mood to watch them because then you're more uh, uh, you're more turned on to savor the movie than if you're being forced to watch it or you're being told to watch it. I think there's more to get from when you're in the mood for it than you watch it and you're like, oh yeah, this is working for me so well, you know that yeah. kind of stuff. I'm doing that for the way back. Like I'm very close to being primed to see that movie because all I've heard is, look, it's here's what it is. Here's what yeah, it's, just the bare bones because I never like to know anything. Right. Enough people have said it's a very successful version of that. So just kind of like, Oh, awesome. Now I get to look forward to, yeah, you know, this type of movie, not that I need a specific mood for it, but past like three, four days, every once in a while, I'm like, Oh, when am I going to watch? Like <laughs> <laughs> I've been holding back just something uh, to look yeah. forward to, I guess. I don't know. We're going to be here for a while. Garcetti's yeah. 31st at least. Although uh, Trump is now saying uh state's issue. You can back up whenever you want to. And you're like, ah, I realize what you're doing is shifting blame and now putting on the governors because you don't want to take the flack. And you of have course successful in the press conferences this week. I get it. But uh, green light all around to any idiot is not a good idea. No, especially because people like uh, that governor in uh, North Dakota, or South Dakota, wherever she's at, uh, like has still not put a mandatory stay at home order. And they had a crap ton of cases come out of that meat plant. You know, like if you had made people stay home, then they would have run on the bare bones staff. Maybe not as many people would have been infected. And the thing that sucks about this kind of situation too, Matt, is it's one of those things where people will just get caught up with the numbers and not really want to blame anybody and look at these things that every single life is a murder, in my opinion. If you did 
things that weren't supposed to be, or you purposefully did things that were politically expedient for you or politically convenient for you instead of doing the things that were hard to keep Americans safe, then to me, that's tantamount to murder. You have an accessory, at least in my opinion. And so seeing all this shifting, seeing all this like trying to protect and PR instead of like owning up to it is just super frustrating because so many people are dying, man. So many people are dying that didn't have to die. Or adjusting the numbers saying, oh, they said 2 million, but only 600,000. We're doing well. It's like, what the fuck are you talking about? So anyway, just my little rant. Yeah, I don't I don't think you'll get the murder charge to stick. You might want to try <laughs> manslaughter. That's the problem. Well, manslaughter, I guess. Yeah. That would well, just the motive you have to prove. And you specifically yeah. more than likely have to prove that the motive was to take out the individual specifically. Yeah. To, oh, right. Good point. Yeah. Yeah. So, but that being said... They are never, I mean, high in the sky, man. That's never going to happen. Yeah. It's weird. You know, it's easy to sit back when we don't know all the stuff. Like, how far out are the testing kits, the tests, or the tests? Yeah, he won't say. It's coming. How quick is that test going to be? Because I think that's the biggest key, especially for all the different sports leagues. Is Oh, yeah. Any live entertainment venue or anywhere where tons of people congregate, if we had tests, then we can limit and we can better diagnose as right. we're through and know when to quarantine individuals, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and catch this before the next wave starts. So yeah, that's my biggest concern right now. It's like, we need to get these tests guys. Let's work on this test. Yeah. That's a great point, man. Absolutely. Good. More tests we get, the more people get found out, the more get cured. Yeah. I don't know. The two weeks out when states are going to open up, I really hope we have tests by them because it's going to be disastrous. And yeah, I mean, already Newsom said he doesn't want any sports. Uh, he sees the future where the sports don't come back until 2021 in LA. And well, that's a strong I statement. That, I thought that was Garcetti. That was Newsom. Or was it? I thought it was Newsom. Maybe well, either way, it's a person in power in a particular city. So we could make that a reality, you know? And so uh, well, we'll see. I mean, we'll see. If a city this large does it, and then there'll be pressure on other cities of the same size. If yeah. they, you know, flirting with the idea and it'll have a cascading effect. I don't know how in New York you can rush this. There's so many deaths in New York. This, is, this makes no sense. It's, you got to wait for a while. Uh, but anyway, we, we are not scientific experts. So, you know, just our personal opinion from what we've seen or read. And uh, we're here to talk about movies. Where are we at, man? My uh, that seven? was my six. You're seven. Okay. My seven is Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. That's another punt. <laughs> ah, Although right. I have a good understanding of what more than likely is going to be the top of yours. But anyway, what you got yeah. now? Uh, my six is uh, Children of a Lesser God. Okay, uh, go for it. Yeah, this is a film that I thoroughly, absolutely love. And I have I don't know if I've ever gotten a chance to talk about it on Top Ten, maybe once. Uh, but this is a film that is quietly one of my favorite 80s films ever made based on a stage play. William Hurt and uh, Marley Matlin. Marley Matlin was, is deaf. Uh, she... Uh, was cast in this film, was her first feature film lead role, and she ended up winning an Oscar for Best Actress for this part. Uh, and this film is a brutal film mostly because, you know, this is a guy who is who teaches deaf kids, goes to this college, and I think it's in New England somewhere, uh, falls in love with Marley Matlin, who is like the, the uh, janitor of the place 
uh, because she is deaf and this is a job that she can hold. And you find mm-hmm. out that there have been issues in the past with her and you find out about her uh, history and that the guys, uh, the hearing kids would, would take advantage of her sexually when she was younger. And so these are the reasons why she's so reserved and kind of keeps to herself. And it's mm-hmm. fascinating to watch. And then you have Piper Laurie playing her mom. Uh, and so William Hurt goes on this journey and she goes on this journey of understanding and discovering because he is so pugnacious about what he thinks she should do that it becomes almost father to daughter. And then you, you kind of discover that in the relationship with that all means. I don't want to ruin too much of it, but it's such a brilliantly well-directed film. Uh, it feels like the fall through the whole movie. Uh, and there are some nice, interesting uh, moments uh, in the film that are kind of like um, dreamlike that I think really work overall. Uh, and it's a fi- it's a film that doesn't take the easy way out and doesn't cop out and doesn't look for the happy ending. It looks for the actual ending or the honest ending. And so it's one that I wish got more love from people when they talk about the greatest of greatest eighties films. Uh, but it's quietly one of mine. So I will put it on this list uh, really high out of respect and love for the film. Nice. Um, I saw it so long ago, like as you were having it, it was a, Oh yeah. <laughs> so it's been, I don't have an opinion because I need to watch it again type of thing. Fair enough. Fair enough. If anybody hasn't watched it, I, I can't recommend it any higher than I do. And uh, William Hurt and Marley Matlin actually got together. I think they got married or they got together out of this film. And then when she won the Oscar, it apparently caused problems between them because he was jealous that she won it on her first try and he'd been trying for years to win one. So it's uh, ego, male ego. What can you do? It's the nature of the game though. Yeah, true, true. Um, all right, well, we'll jump into our number fives, Matt. Uh, but first we should probably uh, hear from our sponsors and then we'll get into it uh, right after this break. All right, and we're back here to count down the rest of our list for the top 10 uh, plays, uh, or sorry, sorry, top, top 10 movies based on plays. Uh, I think we're up to you, Matt. You're number five. Uh, my five is The Odd Couple. Oh, nice. yeah, they didn't make my list. I, I don't love it as much as other people do, so please, go ahead. What's well, the? it's purely the dynamic for Jack Lemmon and Walter Matthau. And, you know, something that there is no, it, it's a perfect team up. They just bounce off of each other so well, and especially yeah. with one is tidy, the other's a slob, one is uptight, one the other is relaxed. Uh, you know, one is on top of their responsibilities, the other's behind on his alimony payments. But they have they both have their pluses and minuses, and it's this kind of I don't want to say cat and mouse, but back and forth between the two of them throughout because Jack Lemon's character, what's he get kicked out of his house by his wife because she wants a divorce, so she he goes to Mathow's and uh, ends up staying there. Yeah. <laughs> Just the friction between the two of them. It still works even today. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of, especially once Mathau just becomes disgusted. It's like, I can't take this kind of thing anymore. Right. And down there and just the fastidious nature uh, of Jack Lemon. Um, but the dynamic works so well between the two of them. That's why you have decades upon decades later, you can still do, uh, a grumpy old man and then get a sequel out of that grumpier old man. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. They have such tremendous chemistry. Um, it's fun to watch. I wish we had, I was, you know, I struggle to think of two actors that are equivalent to those two. Good yeah. You know what I mean? Because they're both excellent serious actors, but they can pull off the comedy and, but they have this cinematic relationship where everybody just agrees, man, I like these two. Yeah. Uh, how, what, uh, no, that's James Garner. I was about to say my fellow Americans, but did mm. James Garner instead yeah. of oh. Well, maybe, I mean, maybe you could 
if you want, I mean, if you were going to remake the movie, I, I would mean, go, uh, Gosling and Crow, see if they can replicate. Mm, yeah, yeah. I still think Carrie and Daniels. I mean, they could be an easy fit into this situation if you like. Daniels is the uh, uh, Daniels could play either part. To be honest with you, he could be the sports writer. I think that actually works better. He's the schlubby sports writer. And uh, Jim Carrey is the annoying, you know, uh, uh, neater, neat guy, you know, uh, uh, you know, retentive yeah. neat guy that could totally work in how they do things. You know, Carrey could do with that annoying thing of clearing his nose or whatever that uh, Jack Lemmon does in the movie. But that could totally work. I mean, th- I think that's the closest comparison in my mind uh, to guys who could do comedy and uh, drama stuff effectively uh, overall, but yeah, I mean, you know, enough that it sparked a TV show that I was, that's what I grew up with, you know, Tony Randall and Jack Klugman. I enjoy the hell out of that TV show uh, all the time. Very funny stuff. And uh, yeah, you've got the stage play this, as they still do the stage play uh, to this day, you know, cause it's some funny, funny stuff from Neil Simon in that play and great stuff from Walter Matthau and Jack Lemmon too. Yeah. Uh, so that is my five. What do you got? Okay. Uh, my number five, let me bring it up here real quick, is uh, the Akira Kurosawa film Throne of Blood, uh, which is based oh. on, yeah, based on uh, Shakespeare's King Lear. Uh, no, King Lear. I'm sorry, Macbeth. Shakespeare's Macbeth. And so I was, it was between this and Ron, and I just enjoyed Throne of, Bo- Throne of Bo- Blood a little bit more than Ron. Because uh, Ron is the King Lear adaptation. I only wanted to throw one Kurosawa one up here if I was going to. Okay. And I think this is the one for me. I just really love Mufuni in this role. You know, it's one of the one of the right I think it's the apex of him as a lead for uh Kurosawa. It does a couple more and then starts to and then like kind of like uh, disappears and then uh, Nakadai takes his place. But this is fantastic stuff here. Uh very moody film, totally works in feudal Japan, you know, he's a he's a uh, you know, as a warrior who ends up like betraying his lord and then taking over thing. And you have the Lady Macbeth thing totally works. Um, the way they make the wood move in Dunsinor, in essence, in the film is is really magically done. And the witches, you know, uh, the way they do Japanese kabuki type thing, they're like all white and the robes and spinning the the uh, thread or whatever the needle. Uh, doing the spinning wheel or whatever and all of it just kind of works so well overall it's a fantastic film and when he's getting you know near the end when all these arrows are coming at him those are actual archers that are shooting arrows into the walls around him which is kind of crazy to think about really i didn't know that (laughs) yeah yeah that's the thing we were uh we were doing research on it uh for one of the um shows for cinephiles and we found out that that's uh when we're doing our month of kurosawa that that was one of the things that uh Kurosawa had told Mufuni. It was one of the reasons Mufuni also kind of eventually broke away from this thing because he was like, you're too willing to put my life at danger for your peace, you know. For your so, art. Yeah, for your art. So it's just a little too crazy for me. But if you haven't seen this uh, and you're a Shakespeare fan, please watch it. And if even if you're not, it's still a fantastic film. Good choice. I didn't even think about it. Yeah. Oh, I did. Like, just like you, like I was going through the list and all of a sudden I saw this like, oh, yeah, I wouldn't have thought it just randomly out of the blue. Uh, but it was when I saw it on a list. I was like, oh, that's right. So, yeah. Um, what's your four? Uh, my four is Dial M for Murder. Oh, nice choice, man. I saw that as I was going through the list. And I'm like, oh, that's an interesting choice. That's a good film, man. It is. It, I, uh, you know, it was based on a play from a few years before and then Hitchcock turns around and makes this taught little thriller about uh, a husband and wife and the wife is cheating on him. And he decides that uh, he's going to take her out because this is all very early on. So I'm not really spoiling anything. The rest right. of it's how that 
that uh, that opening paragraph unfolds, and that's the movie. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he's a retiring tennis pro. He's used to a certain life, but he doesn't want her around. <laughs> Just, <laughs> I've actually known a couple of tennis pros. They're interesting people. I'm sure. Uh, it's a it's a it's a different lifestyle. That's for sure. I had a cousin who was a tennis instructor. Is very strange, a very strange yeah. life, and very strange cat, you know. And just kind of that's what you do is teach people tennis, and it's just and you can make a living doing that, and it's very good living. Yeah, exactly. So it's a very weird, uh, like kind of subset of people who do yeah. that, and the things they go through or experience, and the. Uh, you know, the mania of people who come to learn from them and, you know, the unrealistic expectations they might have, or just, they're just doing it to get out of the house. And then you're like, well, how much do I really want to teach this person? Cause they didn't really, I'm having to reteach them every single session. There's that kind of element to it as well. So yeah, overall an interesting subset of people who exist in the world. And it would be yeah. fun actually to see a TV show kind of based on tennis pros and, and what they go through. It'd be kind of interesting. I, I imagine that industry is dying because oh, sure. tennis as a whole has already hit its apex. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't have the singular stars in tennis that we had when I was a kid and even before I was born. Yeah. Yeah. That these individuals, they could just dominate. Now they still have some, don't get me wrong, but it's nowhere near. I don't think, because I remember every year we used to watch Wimbledon, the U S mm -hmm. and sometimes the French open. Oh yeah. But like, I want to say Wimbledon came on around Easter time. So there's a few Easter's I yeah. remember to put it on and just thoroughly watch. I used to watch golf on the big, like the huge tournaments. Oh, yeah. Every once and again. But tennis, for sure. I yeah. can get all the best players from the 80s through like early to mid 90s because I yeah. so much think of tennis. So I imagine that as that is waned overall, maybe there's fewer people want to get tennis lessons. Yeah. I mean, look, once you go past uh, Federer and Nadal, the Williams sisters – Djokovic uh, and Djokovic is not really, Djokovic. I mean, uh, yeah, Djokovic and Sharapova just retired. There's not yeah, really that many left of name, dude. After this, it's going to be a bunch of people that are certainly great at what they do, but not really yeah. well known. You know, there's a, what is the name? Andy something or other from Great Britain. Right. He murdered, but I think Andy he's Murray. not retiring. Right. He is. Yeah. 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 Uh, there's a young female here stateside, but I can't remember her name. Yeah. But she's supposed to be like the next, you know, badass in women's tennis. Like one of the ones where she'll be an apex predator along with whoever else rises in the ranks. Yeah. We don't have the personalities anymore, though, man. I mean, like you're talking about the heydays. That was like McEnroe and Connors and uh, oh, yeah. Boris Becker and, you know, Jim Courier. And Bjorn you know, Borg. Bjorn Borg, right, right. Stefan Lendl. And, yeah, Ivan Lendl, yeah. Uh, or is it Ivan Lendl? I thought it was yeah. Was there, was there a Stefan something else? Yeah, I think there was a Stefan. Then yeah, Bjorn. Yeah, yeah, Bjorn Bjorn. Ivan and Lundell, then uh, oh, what's his name? The German uh, Boris. Yeah, Boris Becker. Yeah, Boris Becker. Michael yeah, Chang. David Chang. Uh, Catherine's coach in high school. She was. She played tennis, and she was apparently pretty good at it. Oh wow! His, he was Chang's coach. Oh wow! Right on. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, but those. People don't exist anymore. Like, oh, no, no. Rattled off 10 names. I can't yeah. do that anymore. From multiple countries mm -hmm. that you could enjoy and watch. Uh, Stefan Edberg. He was great. Stefan Edberg. There you go. Oh, There's right. your Stefan. Stefan Edberg. That was the one you were thinking about. Yeah, yeah. 
And on the women's side, you had Steffi Graf, Monica Sellis, you had Pam Schreiber, you had uh, Lindsay, uh, what was the 16 year old? Jennifer like, Capriati, you had Chris old, Everett. Yeah, Chris Some Everett, right? Exactly. Navratilova. Yeah, Navratilova, just right. a badass for years. Exactly. And you had all these great people coming through that were fantastic to enjoy and watch and from different countries and including America as well. And so it was great to see and then the Williams sisters came in and they were kicking ass all over the place. And, but then now it's like, it's the tail end. And I don't really see that many personalities getting the kind of publicity uh, that they, that these personalities did back then. So never, know. Get- never say die. Yeah, true. Very true. Very true. But um, all right. That was, so what you, we're up to, that was your number four. That was my four. Dial in okay. for murder. All right. Then my number four is uh, the Birdcage, which is uh, see. Now I looked it up. It's based on a musical. It is. Yes. So La Caja Faux is a musical. The original Inception was a musical. Oh, okay. I thought about doing that too, and I was like, all right, let me just make sure. And it was like, it's based on a musical, and I was like, okay, all right. The movie doesn't, but I excluded because we said no musicals. Yeah, like, that's fair. That's fair. Look, I love that movie, and it's a it's. Hmm musical number in the movie yeah oh right at the end there is that ah. i mean you could argue that it's that but i don't i don't really see it that way um Me okay. either. it's not it's a you know it helps the plot along but it doesn't you know okay not the same thing hmm. to me. all right well then um i suppose i can sub out another one and I could. I don't put, care, man. If you want to keep it, I just I excluded it. It was going to make my list top, like top five for sure. Oh, okay. Well, because in my mind, there's no musical. And when you I say agree. do we musicals, I thought you meant the actual finished product. So I just um, okay. I figured one strike was two strikes, kind of thing. Yeah, no, and I think that's fair. I want to honor that because that could mean yeah. that could mean Birdcage could come up if we ever do top ten musicals. So let me take it out just to be on just to honor that situation. Um, then let me slide in. Oh, uh, let's slide in doubt. I have doubt up here as okay. number 11, so I can put that in on the list. Uh, we talked about that one already a little bit, and that's a fantastic film with uh, you know, Nick, uh, Meryl Streep and Meryl Streep, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman, right? Right, Amy Amy Adams. Adams. yeah, Viola Davis. So, we certainly enjoyed that film very, very much. So, um, and you all know about that one. And if you haven't known about that one, go get, go see that one. A very tight, uh, tense, uh, uncomfortable mm-hmm. film, uh, about uh, someone who's uh, got a lust for power and is upset that someone new has come in to kind of threaten their power. And so is willing to possibly make up allegations about that person so that they can retain huh? their power. Huh? <coughs> yeah. Maybe she sends smoke. Yeah, thing. Philip Seymour Hoffman isn't the best of characters in that. Ultimately, yeah, it can go either way, and that's what's so interesting yeah. about the film. Yeah, yeah, it's a taut little. I mean, it's a you know, the Catholic Church needs to recognize its sins. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Forgiveness. So this is part of. Hey, man, this type of behavior. <laughs> this will not stand. This. Yeah, this, you need to own up to this. You know. <laughs> There's a bunch of things. You've been around for long enough. You have so many transgressions. Yeah. It's amazing once you stack them all up. But we all hopefully believe that ultimately you want to be benevolent and good. Yeah. So, yeah. But we keep giving you shots, but you guys got to check her past. That's for yeah. Very true. Uh, all right. What's your number three, man? Uh, my three is a punt from you earlier, Frost Nixon. Oh, wow. That high up. All right. Respect, dude. Yeah. Dude. Go ahead and take this one, man. Love it. Uh, 
it, I want to say it was my favorite picture of that year. If not, it was top two, top three, max. Um, I didn't know about the story. Yeah. Like going into it and then the build up to it. And I was like, wow, Nixon really sat down for this. And then you find out more of who uh, Sheen's character is. Right. David Frost. Yeah. Yeah. This, this English television, television presenter that no one really took seriously. And he managed to get a one-on-one with Nixon because Nixon doesn't take him seriously either. He thinks it's just going to be this puff piece. And he comes in, guns ablaze. He's got like a Sam Rockwell and Oliver Platt is the two guys helping him. That's a great scene with Sam Rockwell when he was like, you know what, man, fucking Nixon ever comes in here, man. I'm going to tell him where to shove it. And then Nixon comes in and he's like, hi, how are you, Mr. President? <laughs> because there is still the the respect that he commands. Yeah. Having yeah. held the office, there is a, a magnetism to him, much yeah. as you deny it. Uh, I, I would imagine that that is true for anybody that gains that amount of power mm-hmm. uh, ultimately. But so it's this tete-a-tete between the two of them. And, and as Nixon slowly realizes what is actually happening uh, and, you know, Frost trying to make his, give meaning to his life to prove yeah. people wrong, that he's not just some party boy that does, you know, entertainment journalism by and large, like the equivalent to yeah. now, some of them more depth and sincerity than that. Uh, yeah, I loved it, man. I've, uh, I understand why it's lower on your list because it doesn't have the same impact, but every once and again, a movie like that, like the first one that comes to mind is Lincoln. I know you like it and respect it, but I, yeah, it's a difference of, you're not saying it's bad. It's just, no. just on a different plane for me. Absolutely. And and I totally respect that. And it's a great film, man. I mean, I, I remember going to see this and wondering if it was going to be any good. Cause just like you, I have an interest in the political aspect yeah. of this all the historical aspect of it all, all that being, but plus you've got Ron Howard directing this thing and you've got a stable of great actors all around. And I thought Langella's Nixon was way more believable and palatable than Nixon, than Hopkins, than, uh, Hopkins Nixon. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Although Hopkins didn't do a bad job. Yeah. It's just, Langella's was more you could actually see uh Nixon in Langella's portrayal of him you know and mm-hmm. I think nothing beats that scene where he calls Frost late at night to talk about the hamburger and all this kind of thing and and uh, you know the way the burger is you know, all of that you just kind of get into what the machinations of this whole thing is because yes he as long as Nixon felt like he was the alpha dog in the situation then the uh interactions were fine it was when the power dynamic started to switch that he found himself floundering again and had that moment where he uh, completely incriminated himself in that interview. And you're right, Matt, this is something that people don't talk about in a massive way anymore. They talk about Watergate, they'll talk about Nixon, but they don't really throw in this interview that much. You know, when I was growing up, I knew who David Frost was because he was already established. So he was hosting shows in the seventies while I was growing up as a kid and seeing him host shows. So I knew who David Frost was, but like you, I didn't know the story behind his ascension to this position and that fact that he'd been like essentially a carnival barker uh, for entertainment news stuff and was not someone that people took seriously because when I was growing up, he was someone that you did take seriously. That was what was so fascinating about this, you know, and and overall the transition to like, and Kevin Bacon as well as like, you know, essentially his handler, yeah, his chief of staff is great uh, uh, when they have their interactions and the, like his, his high and tight haircut is so perfect to fit what they're trying to do. And his defense of Nixon for people who still defend Nixon is a believable defense for the people who defend Nixon. So it's great that they show both sides of this equation so that you as the viewer can make up your own mind 
uh, of which side you're on, you know, and it's, well, it's great. You can, I, I thoroughly um, can understand why someone would still side with not saying me personally, but right. to believe that he is the right person to have power then what he did trying to spy on his opposition doesn't seem like a major transgression to you. Because yeah. you trust that opposition at all. Mm-hmm. So you better keep him in power. Just like, look, if that's the worst he did, there's way worse out there. And, uh, okay. But it's a corruption of the power. Right. Right. We ultimately, you have to take someone like that out, but yeah. utterly believable is, you know, politics, religion, a few other things just drive people to such a fervent degree select individuals that, that you can blind yourself to uh, whatever you like oh, yeah. to maintain your position. The power of it all is strong, man. Absolutely. Um, all right. That was your number three. Is that right? Correct. All right. So then my number three is uh, another Brana film. Not much to do. It's Henry V. Okay. Um, I absolutely love this movie. Um, I remember going to see it in DC cause it wasn't showing in, you know, the main areas of Virginia. So I had to drive into DC to see this movie and I, uh, it's a life changing experience for me, a, because I was such a kind of an early adapter to enjoying Shakespeare, but still hiding from people that I didn't understand most of it, but I knew it was something that I instinctively felt drawn to. And so going to see it driving down, I think, uh, yeah, I think it was just outside DC actually, uh, Sherlington is where I saw it and sitting in the theater and watching this movie from the opening score which is played in the dark uh, to all the way to the end of that, to that interaction uh, and the last chorus of Jared Jacoby. It's just such a gripping film about this story. And it's different from Olivier's Henry V because Olivier's Mm -hmm. Henry V is about rousing England into world war two. This is more about exploring this young man's journey from having been, you know, essentially a, a party person with Falstaff into embracing the reality of being the king of England and what yeah. that entails in the work. And it's fascinating. It's, it's just like this idea that just because someone uh, can act a fool when they're younger doesn't mean they can embrace the strength of themselves as they get older and they mature and they can become a different person. Uh, and so there's great back and forth with him and the Dauphin, the French, uh, and there's great actors, Braun in this, Brian Blessed's in this as well, Paul mm-hmm. Schofield. Uh, uh, oh, God, I forget his name, who plays the Dauphin. He is so good in the film as well. Um, so all around, just a film that I always, oh, Ian Holm, always go back to and watch and enjoy because I think it pairs down the play in a way that's palatable without removing uh, the uh, brilliance of the play itself uh, and or undercutting its genius. And you can follow along and, and it's very moving. Uh, it's very mm-hmm. moving. And uh, Brana's performance, a young Kenneth, but still with that baby fat on his face is just so good in the role. And Emma Thompson is fantastic in it as well. So yeah, it's one that I come back to all the time, dude. Uh, <laughs> would, you, would you count the King? What do you mean? Well, it has the oh, same the characters. Yeah, interesting. No, I don't think because it's not using the actual play. Yeah, the play. Right? Yeah, but the 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 historical uh, elements are Basing there. it on, yeah, the historical. Yeah. yeah. Like, ah, well, yeah, but maybe you take some of the dynamic that was created within the play mm-hmm. uh, and carry that over. They did a little bit into the king. Yeah. Well, I like the king. The king was damn good, dude. It yeah, is. I like it's it. really good. Um, yeah. It's, you know, Chalamet is excellent. And I can't wait to see Dune. Dude, those pictures look fantastic. I told you, baby. 
Well, my most anticipated this year, and you're about what my number one because it's like, dude, Denny, Denny has not steered us wrong, man. That guy sure. has been so solid. I don't need to see anything. I am geek for this, and then see the picture, <laughs> boom. And I have oh. no, I didn't read the books. I have no affinity for the movie, the previous version. Mm. But I have belief. There's, I mean, it could be done. Oh yeah, and he's splitting it into two movies, so this will be interesting as well. Uh, if the movie first movie it does well and is well received, then it'll get you excited for the second movie. But if this movie is like doesn't do well at the box office because Blade Runner Blade Runner twenty four nine did not do well at the box office, mm-hmm. then you start to wonder what the uh, what the situation will be in the second film. Uh, but that doesn't mean the second film won't won't still come out and won't still like make a crap ton of money because most of the time it's the second part of the story that's full of action and intrigue yeah. and all the jazz because you've got the groundwork from the first part of the story. So uh, yeah, I'm excited too. I love the pictures and it just got me so in the right vibe. And this is what he was going to do. Some people are like, oh, it doesn't look like fun. People are complaining. And it's, yeah, it's not supposed to be fun. This is a, yeah. an actually really brutal story about this kid transitioning into this uh, power and understanding his power, but also uh, the, uh, you know, the evil warlords are involved in all this. So there's so much that, about this story that's going to be fun. It's going to be interesting to explore. It's not supposed to be fun necessarily. So, yeah. All right. Where are we at? So that was uh, my number three. What's yours? Oh, no, you did. I just did my number three. Henry five. Two. I apologize. My is another punt. Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. Oh, nice choice, dude. Yeah. Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, bud. Uh, And, a, it's already good, but B, it jumps so high because it takes a play and then it adds the Alec Baldwin character. Mm-hmm. And, scene, and that scene is now what the immediate reference of any individual and it's carried over uh, to just pop culture. Yeah. By and large, you know. Uh, and it's, and it's, it's written by Mamet, awesome. that speech. It's written by Mamet to fit mm-hmm. into the film. So it works so perfectly. It, gorgeous casting, gorgeous acting. It's a very, it's another movie that's a small story. And it's just about this, you know, office in, in essence, this sales office and the dynamic between all the people within it and who's struggling and who's succeeding. And uh, this kind of, you know, line of the jungle type of aspect, especially like Pacino is just kind of looming over in the corner at all times. Uh, Kevin Spacey, back when we could still like Kevin Spacey. <laughs> Kevin Spacey. Jack Lemon is utterly fantastic in it. Oh, yeah. Uh, be. Yeah. It's just so beautifully done. I'm, but we've talked about it before. You know, yeah. modern classic, modern being relative in cinematic terms. Yeah. It's so good. I mean, because they're all slimy characters, man, because they're all selling fake bullshit mm-hmm. to these unsuspecting people. They're all trying to take advantage of these people and essentially take their money um and uh, you know try to, to try to get as much a commission for themselves as possible uh and lying to themselves that they're just trying to make a living you know in that way and so even the coolness of pacino he is mm-hmm. still a bottom feeder in this way or a dirty bottom feeder in this way yep. uh or the sympathy for jack lemon he's still a dirty sob who's been doing this for how many years. So you see all the different aspects of you. This is the sad sack of Alan Arkin, the, the alpha dog, uh, the aggressive alpha dog that actually is a whimpering dog in Ed Harris, uh, yeah. all of that around. You just kind of, it's just so fun to watch these actors cut their teeth on this mammoth uh, dialogue. And then Baldwin, like you just said, man, Baldwin coming in and just the perfect fit in and then out, you know, yeah. just 
you know how much my watch costs? I'm like, watch costs more than your car, you son of a bitch. Like all of it, just denigrating them all oh, to try to motivate dude, them. F- fuck you, you're fired. <laughs> right. Great. Right. It's to, it, it boils down the essence of that character. And I love that he never comes back. Yeah. He's just part of, he's the, the face, the manifestation of the looming threat that they're all fearing. This is the yeah. guillotine blade presented to you before you potentially get your head chopped off. Um, right. It, Effective. It's, it's an all-timer. So if you have yeah. please go watch it. What do you got it to? 12 Angry Men, which is the based on the Reginald Rose play. Oh, um, that makes my list. I'll bump something off for that. Okay. Because <laughs> you mentioned it earlier. I thought, well, he certainly had considered it, right? And so I thought you'd already considered There's it. There's so many choices. I apparently missed it. Yeah. I've got I don't like know that I knew that it was a play before. Yeah, yeah. Reginald Rose had done the play because I directed the play. Uh, so I, you know, I, you have to go and get the rights and things of that nature. And so it was a play first, then they did a, I think a version of it on Playhouse 90 back in the fifties. And then they actually shot the film, uh, which is, um, Sidney Pollack, his first film ever, I think. Uh, but yeah, what a film, what a fantastic film, what a great, uh, um, uh, collection of actors throughout at that time, uh, for that time, you know, a young car, a young, uh, um, uh, what's it? Uh, oh God, uh, Jack Warner, who was uh, the guy in The Verdict, you know, who's uh, Paul Newman's friend in The Verdict. He's in this thing. You get Ed Begley Jr.'s dad. Ed Begley's in this thing. E.G. Marshall, yeah. uh, who was, of course, the dad in Christmas Vacation. And um, a bunch of, oh, Jack Klugman, a young Jack Klugman in this as well. Yes. And then you have, of course, Henry Fonda. Henry Fonda, who is uh, kind of guiding these guys through this path of, you know, what's the real truth here? And, you know, and as you get older, man, you can rewatch this play or rewatch this movie, rather, and be like, Henry's using a lot of circumstantial evidence. There are, there are, there is logic for actually both sides. Uh, oh, and I'd be remiss not to mention Lee J. Cobb, who is fantastic as juror number three. But you, you, you can see the argument on both sides as you get older. Because when you're younger, you're like, "That's right, he did the right thing. He fought for that kid," and blah blah blah. But when you're listening to the evidence is laying out, there is a possibility the knife could be the same knife. The knife could not be the same knife. It just all depends. And so there's so much about it that he just turns the circumstantial evidence on its head. But it's fascinating to watch it overall as a film. But ultimately, given the fact that it is circumstantial, yeah. if you don't have a definitive answer, then you have to, to err on the side of caution. Right. You could. Absolutely. But- talking about, you know, taking someone's life or depriving them of it by putting behind bars for the rest of their lives. I can't remember if it was, uh, you know, uh, capital punishment or just life in prison. Mm young kid and, and you know the the most stern on the opposite side was bringing in his own issues yes and projecting them onto this situation and you eventually discover everybody's motivations by and large yeah as they kind of re-examine this this you know fonda just keeps asking them and yeah. slowly, it's great how he just keeps pulling one at a time yeah. one at a time to the chorus on his side um yeah i i put it at number three on my list okay <laughs> I fall off a Bronx tail. It makes number three. Nice. All right. Fair. Uh, what's your number one then? Do we have the same one? Uh, my number one is Amadeus. Yes, sir. Amadeus. Number one. At least, at least another commonality on this list, but absolutely in the right position, man. Yeah. Uh, that, that little 30 minute documentary about the making of, I told you they open oh, yeah. the fact that, that once Milos tries, he sits down Milos Foreman, the director and decides, you know what, this is the play that I want to do. I think he asks maybe who was doing the play or someone else, and they're like, this is unfilmable. 
you can't, there's no way you can do this in cinematic time frame. And I don't believe Salieri is in the play. No, Salieri is the narrator of the play. Yes. Is he? But, they, they, didn't they change some aspect of Salieri? It's Mozart that isn't in the play. Like he is only in, oh. in his memory or in, in, in okay. interaction and in conversation. Yeah. But Salieri is the narrator the entire time on stage. I went and saw it in London and David, oh, nice. Suchet, David Suchet played it, the Poirot guy. He played Salieri and it was great. Um, and so, uh, yeah, that was in 98. So, uh, and, and so that's what I remember from the entire uh, play is that he's on stage the entire time. And people oh, wow. come in from his memory, like the mm-hmm. priest and whatever, that they're there in real time. But then from his memory, people come in. But I don't think you ever see Amadeus, but you hear him laugh off screen and you hear him or oh. off stage or you hear him do things off stage, but you don't ever see him. Uh, so I, I think that's the uh, thing of the play that I, that, yeah. So it's, it's so good. Peter Schaefer wrote a fantastic play, you know. Uh, it's the, the pace, the introduction of characters, yeah. the, Court intrigue, and you can see all the various different layers. Um, Jeffrey Jones, yeah, Jeffrey Jones was emperor, yeah, yeah, uh, he's great. Uh huh, just <laughs> from uh-huh. court composer. What do you think? Too many notes, ah, yes, too many notes. <laughs> what notes would you like me to take out, sire? I will, you know, uh, it's just you know, a few, it'll be fun, <laughs> yeah, just, just uh. This novice, this neophyte who can barely do a march, a simple march, as Mozart comes in the first time that Salieri had written. And he Mozart had memorized it on the way in. And they were blown away, which doesn't make a lot of sense because Salieri should be able to do that as well. Uh, right, 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 right. It's a very simple you know, construct. It's not like it was complex and you have to. But some people like a photographic memory have yeah. that type of recall on uh, you know, auditory doesn't really matter. Yeah. But it, I mean, as it builds in the demise of Mozart and, you know, Salieri's guilt, but I love it when he gets the pages as Mozart is dying and he's reading the master before anybody else. And he can, you know, hear the notes in it and just blown away, blown away. This guy's actively dying right in front of me yeah. and he still writes a masterpiece Yeah, to know that you're, you're cut from the same cloth but you'll you'll always be found wanting. Yeah, the requiem of it all, right? I mean, that, and that's the that's the fantastic um, angle of the play that makes it universal. This idea that there's someone who's always going to be better than me at that, you know. And those are the smaller. That's the small number. That's why you write material for the vast majority of people to enjoy and fit and connect to this idea of this guy's obsessed. He's obsessed with wanting to be the best or consider the best, but then he's the only one, right? He says that to God, thanks for making, thanks for making me aware of your creation on earth, the, the ultimate creation. And then uh, making me aware of how little I am compared to him. And now I, that I'm aware of that, then no one else can see it. I can see it, which is my, cross to bear and carry in life you know and frustration but the thing is it it rings of truth like i know the generation that came after beethoven of composers didn't want to do symphonies because the general consensus was they he crushed it so hard (laughs) will never compare to the brilliance of beethoven so there's like a 
entire generation of composers that steered clear that followed him. Right. Uh, I mean, that's it happens. And Beethoven, by and large, wasn't the best of people. Had his flaws. Sure. Very true. Uh, yeah, it's it's an awesome movie. We both love it, and I, it was making the list. Uh, it's nice that it's both uh, number one. I, I can type out. I just got to adjust my laptop to make it a little easier. Oh, no worries. Uh, there was no doubt on my mind that it was going to be number one for me. So as soon as we set this topic, so. Uh, all right, I'm going to grab the bongos. Uh, let's uh, figure this out. All right, I will start typing. So Amadeus is number one. I think we can all agree on that. Um, I would probably say 12 Angry Men is next. All right. Back in so I can hear what you're saying. All right. So I put Amadeus 1 and 12 Angry Men 2, because that's now my number three. Oh, yeah. Makes sense. And then where'd you have Glenn Gary? Number seven. All right. So it's 2-7. What's your next highest? Your two? Uh, My three, actually, because Amadeus three is rather- my three is Henry V. Well, I'd imagine 2-7 beats a three. Okay. We both have Frost Nixon. We both have a streetcar. Yeah. That's it. Okay. Streetcar's at eight for me and Frost Nixon at 10 for me. Okay. I got Frost Nixon now at four. Okay. Um, so that's 410 versus 6-8. Um, I think 410 takes that one, don't you? I think so, too. All right, so then we got your three, Henry V. What's your next highest? Uh, did you already put in Henry V? Yeah. Uh, doubt at four. Okay, doubt it is. Okay. Your next highest? Throne of Blood at five. All right, I got Dial M for murder. Um, okay. I don't. I just thought three left. We have three left. Okay. Well, yeah. Uh, put in dial M because I mean I already got like Henry Five and Doubt in there. So, and uh, sorry, yours was uh, Throne of Blood. And finally, what's your last highest? Number six, uh, Children of a Lesser God. Uh, all right, let's just do that one because. Yeah. Cool, man. Made the list. I'm shocked. All right. What's well, that versus my six? Uh, but you just. Can- seated on dial M. So nice. Um, all right. So there we go. Let's uh, count this thing down uh, and do some bongos. Uh, <laughs> the top 10 movies that became plays. Oh, Jesus. The top 10 movies based on plays. Yeah. At number 10. Children of a lesser God. At number nine. Throne of blood. At number eight. Dial M for murder. At number seven, Doubt. At number six, Henry V. At number five, A Streetcar Named Desire. At number four, Frost Nixon. At number three, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. At number two, Twelve Angry Men. And our number one movie based on a play is Amadeus. There it is. Fun stuff. Uh, and that's it. Uh, you want to mention any of your, any of your uh, uh, honorable mentions real quick before we wrap? 
Uh, you know, uh, one or two came up on your list. Okay. Uh, I thought about Hamlet Gibson's, but mm. I do. Um, so yeah, yeah, yeah. I, not not really because there's so many. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That I tried to just keep it as as small a list as possible on the side because otherwise it's going to be you know 25 choices. It's true. I had Bronxdale on my on my honorable mentions. Harvey is one that I really considered throwing up there when I found out that was based on a play. Uh, Lion in Winter is a fantastic film that I was very close. And uh, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. It's a great little quiet film uh, from Tom Stoppard about those guys in Hamlet. And then Rope. Rope was another one uh, that I was considering. Which yeah, is it's a, a good choice. It's a good uh, yeah. choice on that one all right well there we go that's the top 10 show can't thank you all enough once again for downloading the show uh, on podcast form or if you're watching us on the youtube thank you so much please remember to leave comments below let us know what you thought uh submit your lists uh or tweet us uh your lists whatever you like to do there or maybe there are some movies that you think should have been ranked higher that were based on plays because they have a personal connection for you so let us know uh all of that matt what else do we have to tell them uh, hit us up uh, over at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash the top 10 show all spelled out or over patreon.com forward slash the top 10 with the number 10. And you can follow me anywhere at Matt Nost. And please uh, check out my other podcast, Embrace the Hates with uh, myself and uh, my buddy Rick Ingram, the funniest guy I know. And it's us basically right now, quarantine edition, just shooting the shit as we're dealing with uh, this weird world. But uh, yeah, that's it for me this week. Nice. Uh, you can follow me at the Roker says on Twitter and on Instagram. And uh, please come and subscribe to the YouTube channel, www.youtube.com slash John Roca says. And hey, subscribe to our top 10 YouTube channel as well. We're trying to get up to that point where it can get monetized. We've got to get over a thousand uh, subscribers and over 4,000 hours of watch time. And then that too can be monetized for Matt and I. So please go over there and subscribe to that as well. Find the top 10. Uh, uh, it's always attached in the description. So find it there and subscribe to that channel and give it some love as well all right that's it uh we'll talk to you next time on the top 10 peace out